Dogen Zenji, the True Dharma Rai, uh, 300 koans, uh, case 235, uh, the 13th daughter's Dharma. The 13th daughter of the Shong family at age 12 went to study with Gui Shan, accompanied by her senior Dharma sister. The sister made a full bow to Gui Shan and stood up. Gui Shan said to the senior Dharma sister, Where do you live? She said, I live near Nantai River. Gui Shan yelled at her and told her to leave. Then he said to Jean, who was 12 years old in the story, then he said to Jean, Where does that woman behind you live? Jean released her body, walked close to Gui Shan, and stood still with her hands joined. Guishan repeated the question. Zhong said, I've already told you. Guishan said, go away. Zhong quietly left and went up to the Dharma Hall. The senior Dharma sister said, you keep saying that you understand Zen. That was an immature statement. Today you were questioned by a great master and uttered no words. Zhong said, my goodness, how can you talk like that? And you still say you're on pilgrimage? Take off your patched robe and give it to me. <coughs> Later, Zhang said to the teacher, uh, Luo Shan, When I was with Gui Shan, I responded to him in this way. Did I attain equanimity? Luo Shan said, uh, you are not faultless. Zhang said, where's my fault? Luo Shan scolded her. Zhong said, it's like spreading flowers on brocade. Please sit comfortably. Yeah, today's, the title of today's talk is, uh, uh, What is Your True Home? Where do you live? There's a little bit of family history. Uh, Guishan uh, Lingo uh, lived from 771 to 853. Um, he was a student of uh, Pai Chang's, uh, who you remember got his nose twisted by Matsu, and uh, the wild ducks were, well, kind of gave themselves, the wild duck kind of gave itself away um, when he howled with pain. So that's the Pai Chung, the one who said, uh, the old teacher who said, a day without working is a day without eating. Uh, Gui Shan came to him when he was about 18 years old. Um, and the story is uh, beautifully told uh, in Aiken Roshi's uh, Gateless Barrier. Gui Shan uh, was the co-founder of the Gui Yang School with his uh, disciple Yang Shan, who we met last Sanzangai, when in dialogue with his teacher Gui Shan, when uh, he said, uh, Yang Shan asks him, uh, says, what about it when all things are in a state of disarm a disorderly karmic consciousness and there is no base to rely on? Uh, and actually there is no base to rely on. 
There is no ground of being. Uh, we keep positing grounds of being. Um, you know, even being itself is not a ground of being. And non-being itself is not a ground of being either. It's really important to let go of those kind of concepts. There's absolutely nothing to rely on. And anything that is there to rely on is a concept. Your business is letting go of concepts here. How is it when you let go of concepts? What's that? It's as clear as the nose on your face. So uh, Guishan became a monk at the age of 15. He began Zen study with Pai Chang uh, when he was 24. Um, late one evening, uh, Guishan was sitting in the dark and was accosted by his teacher. Uh, pai Chang asked, who is it sitting there in the dark? Guishan said, it's Lingu, master. Pai Chang said, rake up the hearth. Guishan arose, stepped to the hearth, and searched for the live, coal, for live coals, but found none. The fire has gone out, he said. Pai Chung then took up the tongs, and deep in the ashes he found a small live ember. Holding it up, he said, what is this? What is this? And... Uh, Guishan had his awakening with that. So in middle life, uh, he became cook at Pai Chang's monastery, which is a big monastery, maybe a thousand monks. So being cook was big responsibility, head cook, tenter there. And, um, Pai Chang's thoughts turned to uh, getting another monastery uh, that might absorb the overflow and provide opportunities for people to come and to practice and awaken. And this very moment, a friend of Pai Chang's, um, a geomancer, a monk who knew geomancy, Feng Shui uh, appeared. You see, you have this, he has this scheme and immediately uh, the, the necessary monk appears. <clears throat> I'll read you this from Hagen Roche's account. He, the geomancer reported that he'd find, found a fine mountain ideal for the establishment of a new monastery. Its orientation was propitious, its configuration perfect. He suggested that Pai Chung send someone there to be the founder. Pai Chang agreed that it was a good idea, but who should he send? Uh, How about me, said Pai Chang. Uh, no, uh, said the geomancer, uh, you are too little and frail for this. Uh. <laughs> so then the cook walked, uh, not the cook, um, the head monk walked through. Whatever you become, never become a head monk. They have terrible time in, in, the, in the stories of the tradition. So the head monk walks through. 
And um, How about him, said Pai Chung. The geomancer turned to the head monk and said, cough. And the head monk coughed. Take a few steps, the monk paced about. Not qualified, the geomancer said. Mm -hmm. This takes more than just following orders. Pai Chung then sent for Guishan. As soon as he saw him, the geomancer announced, uh, Here's the man for Mark Darkway. Pai Chung agreed, and in a private interview, he advised Guishan that he was selected. When this was announced, the head monk protested, saying that since he was the leader of the assembly, he should get the job. To keep the peace and to keep matters clear, Pai Chung arranged a contest. He set a water bottle on the floor and said, don't call this a water bottle. What will you call it? Hmm? Applying the gag. On another occasion he said, say a word without moving your lips or your tongue. Hmm. Wonderful. So, say some outside, he says, um, he sets the water bottle on the floor and says, don't call this a water bottle. What will you call it? Um, the head monk said, it can't be called a wooden clock. Doesn't matter how much Zen you've practiced, you know that's a feeble response. Even when all extenuating circumstances are taken into account, it's a feeble uh, response. Pai Chang then asked Kui uh, Shan uh, to respond. Kui Shan simply walked through and kicked over the water bottle and just kept walking out. No trace of meaning, no trace of no meaning. Uh, beyond all concepts, just I refrain from using the glass because I want a drink. <laughs> but you get the eye, you, you, you get it, beyond all concepts. What does it mean? Just that. Uh, just that in the whole universe. Nothing clinging to it. Um, pai Chang laughed and said, the head monk loses. How would you be uh, in that situation? There's, there's a test of practice. Guishan thereupon was made founding teacher uh, at Mount Darkway. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, I mean, he shouldered a light burden for a very heavy one, uh, indeed. And he had a hard time of it in the early years. Um, 
he sat there for years on that spot and no one came. There's a great story of Theravada Monk, which comes back to me, who um, was told as part of his practice that he had to give a talk each day in the forest. So he would go and sit in the forest and part of this was giving a talk each day. And uh, uh, he would sit there and he would close his eyes uh, and just give his talk. There's no one there. This is very much Guishan's thing. As he put it, I spent years talking to the monkeys on Mount Guay. Uh, and the monk continues to do this year after year after year. And then one day he opens his eyes and there are hundreds of people listening to uh, his talk just sitting there. It reminds me a little bit of the first free impro gig in New York and the bass player who worked with Ornette Coleman um, rehearsing for months. And I got this gig at the, the, at the top jazz club in New York. And it's, the harder, it's a place which is very difficult to do a free impro gig, the first to fresh free jazz gig. And the bass player, his name escapes me at the moment, but he said, I played with my head down and my eyes shut through the whole gig. And then when I opened my eyes at the end of it, every jazz musician, top jazz musician in New York was there. <laughs> Horrified. <laughs> or applauding. I don't know. But that's the kind of situation. And, uh, but eventually, uh, the monastery became a monastery for 1,500 people. Um, a lineage was founded with um, Gui Shan and his um, senior student, Yang Shan, called the Gui Yang uh, lineage. It's called the School of Friendly Equals, as we found out last time in the, uh, about it. Um, and he was Gui Shan because he was in charge, a teacher for a monastery of 1,500 monks, was often grumpy and tired. And uh, sometimes you can sense that. Sometimes he uses that as his own dharma. I am too tired with temple affairs to attend to your question today. <laughs> was a standard kind of response, which may have had truth, well, probably had truth to it, but that is also the matter itself. It sounds like evasion, but it's not. Uh, regarding uh, the School of Friendly Equals, here's the student of, uh, here's the story of Iron Grinder Lou, uh, uh, a woman, uh, great woman teacher, great woman Zen master, um, nicknamed the Old Buffalo, or the Old Ox, and she was a successor, successor of Gui Shan. Um, she had ordination uh, as a nun when she was very young. She travelled all over China, engaging in Dharma combat with um, uh, male Zen teachers. She got the nickname Old Iron, Iron Grinder because, because I think of the, the unbelievable power of her practice um, and she ground uh, male Zen masters into the ground with her, her uh, Dharma combat skills. Um, what do you say, ground them into little bits? and also awaken them. Good to be ground into little bits. Um, that's also the ground of awakening. Uh, she became a student of Gui Shan's uh, later in life. She did her formal Khan study and had transmission. 
from him. She lived nearby and she used to visit him from time to time. And uh, so she comes to Guishan. Uh, Guishan says to her, Oh, you old buffalo, uh, so you've come. Uh, Iron Grinder Liu says, Tomorrow there will be a great charity meeting at Mount Dai. Uh, will your reverence be going? Guishan immediately lay down, sprawling. Uh, Grinder Lu uh, just went away. It's very, very minimal. Um, it's a little pas de deux, yeah, a, a dance for two. And the theme is coming and going uh, here. So he says to her, uh, Oh, you old buffalo, uh, so you've come. It's like throwing the ball to her. Uh, where do you stand in relation to coming and going? They say there's no coming and going in the great hour. Where do you stand with relation to coming and going? Iron Grinder responds, Tomorrow there'll be a great charity meeting at Mount Dai. Uh, will your reverence be going? She's saying, a thousand kilometres in a single day. It's no problem for me. Yeah. How about for you, she asks her teacher. Yeah. No coming and going in that vastness. Guishan lay down, uh, sprawling. Just this. Uh, no need to go anywhere. It is all included. Grinder went away. Just that. You want to know about no coming and going? She just walked out. It was very beautiful. A wonderful exchange. This complete equality of these two great teachers uh, showing us how to present the place of no coming and going at all. It's been great having... Glenn uh, staying with me. We had many, many dialogues over many, many days and went walking in Raybald Hill and uh, got views of the ocean and uh, the Bankshires and, and we had a wonderful time. And I mentioned just at the end of Glenn's second talk a, a little card about possum, my cat. I just want to renew that for a moment because it is the theme of today and I want to just briefly revisit it. We were walking, uh, Glenn and I were walking along the... Um, the the river down at Bayswater, and uh, you've got the wetlands on the uh, on both sides of the track there. And we're walking along. Um, Glenn said, "Shame, we should have brought Possum along for a walk." And I said, "But she's very comfortable at home, and she doesn't stray very far. She actually really likes her territory." And She'd be reluctant to come along. Uh, I said, well, yeah, and why would she leave her territory? And Glenn said, how could she leave her territory? When I presented the card at the end of the second evening of Glenn's second talk, Glenn responded by just simply leaving. 
It's just the same point. It's, uh, yeah. How could she leave her territory? How could she leave uh, what is vast, dimensionless, and beyond coming and going? So what is your true home? Where is it? We're all from somewhere else, I think, here today. If not in this present generation, then no more than a few generations back. It's only six or so generations since um, uh, the white invasion of this, uh, of Noongar land uh, here. Only six generations. Such a tiny span uh, in, in terms of Noongar history. Uh, more than 40,000 years. So we're all newcomers here. In a way, we're all from somewhere else. Um, so it's not surprising if from time to time we feel a bit uprooted and have a sense of not entirely belonging uh, in this place. This is why sit on country is so important and so uh, helpful. Uh, it begins to, to help us, I think, to, to be in this place uh, in a much deeper sense. Um, regarding uh, the sense of being at home, um, there's a great uh, poem by Robert Frost called Death of a Hired Man. And um, it's about an old man called Silas, his name is Silas, who, who comes back to a property where he has worked um, in the past. He's got a difficult history with uh, Warren, who is the... Um, where he's the, the farmer and uh, I just want to read a few lines here because um, Mary, um, the wife, says to Warren uh, concerning Silas, he has come home to die. Uh, you needn't be afraid he'll leave you this time. Silas was known to walk out on jobs if he got upset. And then Warren replies, home, he mocked gently. Yes, what else but home? It all depends on what you mean by home. Of course, he's nothing to us any more than was that hound that came a stranger to us out of the woods, worn out upon the trail. It's Mary talking here. Home is the place where, when you have to go there, they have to take you in. Uh, then she says, I should have called it something you somehow haven't to deserve. You know, it may be true that home is a place where when you go there they have to take you in, but I think the experience is that many old people are alienated from their families. Uh, they live lonely and they die alone. There are so many stories of uh, uh, younger people abandoning parents. In many instances our friendships uh, replace connection to family for many folk these days. Uh, even in South, in East and Southeast Asia, it's said that old Confucian values of caring for one's parents are, are dying out. So, yeah, the sense that uh, when you go there, ha they have to take you in, um, I think loses perhaps even some of the, the richness that it would have had uh, for uh, people in Frost's time. 
This is not to say that old people are not difficult. I'll speak for that. <laughs> but I'm grateful to my kids for, for the care that they, they give me. Um, I feel very fortunate, uh, given the strife I've caused um, over a lifetime for them. If not strife, embarrassment at very least, as my son never fails to point out to me. So embarrassing, Dad! <laughs> so each of us here today has an abode, a home even, providing us with shelter, somewhere to sleep, a place to store our food and our belongings. But beyond this place we call home, with its postal address and its location in the time and season of cause and effect, beyond this, Zen speaks of our true home. Uh, what is our true home? You know, the tall window is full of clouds. Uh, the cladding on the walls is blue. Many people sitting in the dojo. You want to know your true home? Listen. Listen. It is not far to find. So let's turn to today's story. Uh, the 13th daughter of the Chong family, at age 12, went to study with Guishan, accompanied by her senior Dharma sister. Okay, Guishan was very um, uh, accepting of women students. I mean, the example of old Iron Grinder is a great example. Um, yeah. So the two Dharma sisters come, and he asks them, where do you live? And the older sister says, I live near Nantai River. You know, there's nothing wrong with this as a response. It's perfectly factual. And there are many examples of students uh, appearing before teachers and being asked questions like that and giving perfectly straightforward responses. A wonderful example uh, here. Where a later Dongshan, not the Sardong one, uh, comes to Yunmen. Yunmen asked him, Where were you recently? Dongshan said, At Cha Tu. Uh, Dongshan said, um, Sorry, Yunmen said, Where were you during the summer? Dongshan said, At Batsu Monastery in Hunan. Yunmen said, when did you leave there? Dongshan said, August the 25th. Yunmen said, I spare you 60 blows. All night, uh, Dongshan struggled in the ocean of yes and no. Where was my fault? What did I say wrong? You know, I was speaking truth here. Yeah. And he comes before... Yunmen the next morning and he says I do not understand, you said you spared me 60 blows, where was my fault? And Yunmen said oh you rice bag rice bag, someone who goes from monastery to monastery uh, just getting food and uh, not practicing but using the monastic system, oh you rice bag uh, why do you go about in such a way, west of the river south of the lake 
And on hearing these words, uh, Dongshan was enlightened. What was his true home at that moment? Oh, you rice bag, why do you go about in such a way, west of the river, south of the lake? Not far to find. So, uh, the older Dharma sister said, I lived in Nantai River. Guishan yelled at her and told her to leave. Then Guishan said to Chong, the younger sister, where does that woman behind you live? This is a way of asking her, what is your true home? But notice he doesn't even ask her, have the courtesy to actually ask her the question directly. He just refers to the older uh, sister. Where does that woman behind you live? Uh, Zhong released her body, walked close to Guishan, and stood still with her hands joined. Uh, this is beyond words. Yeah, uh, her trust, vulnerability, her courage, and her clear uh, dharma eye. Just that. Guishan uh, repeated the question. Chong said, I've already told you. How did she tell him? Guishan said, go away. This is not the same as the go away for the older sister. Yeah, show me, show me this. Go away. Sean quietly left and went up to the Dharma Hall. Just that. Nothing to look for. Nothing to dive into. Yeah. The night moves on little feet. Or on big feet, depending. So, what is your uh, true home? So we go back to their room and uh, the senior Dharma sister said, you keep saying that you understand Zen. That was an immature statement. Today you were questioned by a great master and uttered no words. John said, my goodness, how can you talk about like that? And you still say you're on pilgrimage? Take off your patched robe and give it to me. <clears throat> this violates the family hierarchy big time. Younger sister, 12 years old, uh, saying this to her older sister. Later, Chung uh, went to uh, Lo Shan, who was a student of Yantol's. It's not in the same lineage. So this may be some years later. Uh, later, Chung went to Lo Shan, who was the successor of Yantol. She said, when I was with Guishan, I responded to him in this way. 
did I attain equanimity? There are so many ways of not mentioning the emperor's name. This is, uh, there's, in Chinese, there's detour and accent. This is just another detour. Did I attain equanimity? Equanimity, by the way, very associated with the experience of emptiness. With the deep experience of emptiness, we are supposed to become more equanimous in the world. She's saying, was I, was I consonant with all that is? Did I encounter, did I present my true home at that time? Luo Shan said, you were not faultless. Uh, this is subtle and this is a challenge. Yeah, you are not, you are not faultless. This is not, there is no trace of blame here. You are not faultless. Phrase that encloses the universe. You are not faultless. Like the sun coming up. Uh, like raindrops falling from a tree. And Chong said, playing along. Where is my fault? Um, not caught at all. Lorshan scolded her, you useless, good-for-nothing, pretend student of the way. Uh, rancorous abuse. The whole poem is full of scolding. <laughs> Not poem, I mean, it is a poem, it's a great poem. It's a great poem too. Um, yeah. So he scolded her. And uh, Chong said... It's like spreading flowers on brocade. Breathtaking. <laughs> Old saying in Zen, it's like adding frost to snow. Like spreading flowers on brocade. Uh, your abuse is utterly redundant. Um, and it is the light falling on the floor, the cushions, the people the sky. So how do you live? It's like spreading flowers on brocade. When abuse comes, fairly or unfairly, that's it. That's no less than what we are and who we are. Our true home is open to all and all are welcome. This doesn't come easy for anybody. This is the work of a lifetime. The sounds of earth pour into the night sky. Inarticulate cries of suffering, pleasure, advertising, doof-doof, rap, a Mendelssohn quartet issuing from a service station at 1am, people drunkenly calling each other across the park. Um, so how come we take all this stuff that comes into our life so personally and attribute meaning to it. What hurts us is lost in the distant hub hub. Uh, we take offence, uh, but it's no other than earth sound, planet sound, 